wildfires in Oregon have caused at least half a million people to flee their homes. Kate Winslet says she regrets working with Woody Allen and Roman Polanski. And we've got Washington Post columnist Alyssa Rosenberg with us to talk about how TV shows plan on incorporating the pandemic into their plot lines. The date, September 11th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey, everyone. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. We made it through a short week, but uh, are you doing anything aside from avoiding fire this weekend, Casey? No, that's literally my top priority. I ordered a air purifier last night. So did my roommate. They're like pretty much sold out everywhere, but the air quality is so bad. It was making me very lightheaded yesterday. And then, you know, I was actually today, it's been planned for weeks. I was supposed to have my first like outdoor haircut. Oh no. Uh, since, since like I haven't had one in like 10 months. And we were like, we can't do it. The smoke is too bad. Even if we're wearing masks, it's just like not worth it being outside for that amount of time. Ah, oh, geez. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's terrible. Uh, I can't even retreat to your parents' pool this weekend. I know, exactly. Usually, you know, I retreat from the heat to be in the pool. And this time, I think it's literally about being in your home, protecting yourself the best you can. And then, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit better off right now. But the people who are protecting themselves and then have to be on the lookout for possibly evacuating. So it's going to be a weekend. Yes, it is. And on that note, time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. Things are looking pretty bad in Oregon as wildfires there have caused half a million people to evacuate already. So we talked yesterday about why California's fires are as bad as they are. Up in Oregon, the problem is coming as smaller fires merge together and windstorms that have already caused heavy damage continue to feed oxygen into the blazes. The damage is already immense. Three million acres burned in California, a million burned in Oregon, and as of this recording, at least 15 people have been killed. And the mass amount of smoke, like you said, Casey, being produced is keeping people indoors with their windows closed, trapped inside again in the middle of a pandemic until, of course, the fires get too close and they need to flee, potentially exposing them. Adding to the chaos are unfounded reports, or lies, as we can call them, that said that the fires were set by Antifa anarchists to harm police officers. That belief appeared to stem from one post in a Facebook group warning about strange people who'd set a fire. The couple in question were apparently from the area just photographing the blazes. But that rumor led to armed men confronting a pair of journalists as they were documenting the fires. Thankfully, nobody was hurt in that incident. And meanwhile, the Centers for Disease Control has put out a new study showing a high correlation between COVID-19 cases and people going out to eat at restaurants. That's one of the takeaways from the study, which was looking specifically at the community interactions that people had before catching COVID. They looked specifically at people who were displaying symptoms of COVID-19 and a control group that had symptoms but tested negative. After filtering out the people who knew they'd been around someone who had coronavirus, like a family member, the study found there wasn't much difference between the groups when it came to things like grocery shopping, attending small gatherings of less than 10 people, or even going to the gym while wearing masks and taking proper precautions, etc. But people who caught coronavirus were about twice as likely than the control group to report having eaten in a restaurant in the two weeks before their positive test. And that includes indoor and outdoor dining. Now, Correlation isn't causation, and the CDC itself noted that the study was pretty small. But it does highlight that even outside, if you can't wear a mask and be far away enough apart to keep particles from spreading, it's still a risk. Hayes, do you know what I've been doing lately? I've been watching Top Chef and then 
finding all the restaurants that are on the West Coast of the chefs that have been on the show and then looking at their menus and then picking which restaurants I'm going to go to and what items I'm going to get from it. That's how I'm surviving because do you know what else I'm doing? Not going to these restaurants right now. Even though a lot of them are open because, you know, in California, a lot of outdoor restaurants and stuff like that, you know, reading these reports and seeing other people's just, I'm not willing to take that risk. Um, I know in other places, it's a little bit um, more okay to do it, but LA is still a really tough spot to be uh, going out to restaurants. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was before the fires. I mean, here in New York, though, the transmission rate is so low that I'm starting to see people like really like, okay, good job, guys. It's all over. We did it. And it's worrisome. But so me and my fiance during the hiatus, we went out to a restaurant for the first time and ate outside for the first time since the pandemic hit. And then reading the study, I'm like, hmm, well, that's interesting. I'm glad we did that now while transmission <laughs> rates are so extremely low. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> yeah, I think it's tough. I think I'm like scarred from being in LA because there's this time, this was now months ago, I don't even remember what it was when Garcetti was like, okay, we can all go back to restaurants. And then people did. And then he was like, why is everyone going to restaurants? I so know. I'm, so I'm scared and I'm not doing it. <laughs> I mean, it could be worse. In the UK, they did the same thing, but more extreme. Like in August, they were like, all right, guys, cool. Go back to the pubs. Enjoy. But in a British accent. And now they're like, OK, you guys stay away from each other. Don't you dare gather in groups. How dare you consider it? OK, over to you for some pop culture, Casey. Well, we've got Kate Winslet saying that she regrets working with directors who've been accused of abuse, namely Woody Allen and Roman Polanski. Winslet was speaking with Vanity Fair about her upcoming movie, Ammonite, which we've already talked about on the podcast. She said that in the process, she wanted to become even more conscientious about how women are presented in movies. Quote, life is fucking short, and I'd like to do my best when it comes to setting a decent example to younger women. We're handing them a pretty fucked up world, so I'd like to do my bit in having some proper integrity. Winslet added, though, that she had to ask herself, quote, what the fuck was I doing working with Woody Allen and Roman Polanski? Back in 2017, she actually defended her work with Allen on the movie Wonder Wheel and with Polanski on the movie Carnage in 2011. Allen has been accused of abuse by his adopted daughter, Dylan Farrow. Polanski was arrested and indicted for raping a 13-year-old girl in 1977. Now... Winslet told Vanity Fair that she finds it unbelievable how much regard Hollywood still has for the two directors. She added, quote, I have to take responsibility for the fact that I worked with them both. I can't turn back the clock. I'm grappling with those regrets. But what do we have if we aren't able to just be fucking truthful about all of it? And that is the kind of thing I would love to see more of in Hollywood, just kind of in general. Yes. Like, yeah, I fucked up. My bad. I would love to do better. So let's talk about how fucked up it is that I did fuck up. Yes. And I also want to point out that she had praised working with Alan just three years ago. And so it's you're I just want to say to these celebrities, even if you said something in the past four or five years, you're able to retract that. Like, don't be embarrassed about that. You're allowed to grow. A lot of things have happened in these past four years where minds have been changed. And it's just like really tough because even celebrities who have worked with them or want to work with them have been praising them. For example, Scarlett Johansson is just one of many. In 2019, aka last year, she said that 
quote, I love Woody. I believe him. I would work with him anytime. And it's just incredibly tough to hear that, especially after the Me Too movement. And like I said, she's just one of many high profile celebrities who are still backing them up. Right. And I, I you got to wonder, who are these people's like agents and managers who are suggest and PR people suggesting like, no, the right play here is make sure that you can still get in on Woody Allen's movies. What? I know they're doing that. And then what still is incredibly bothersome and damaging is if it's not praising some people are like well i want to hear more information and i'm like what more information do you want to hear we have Especially the information yes, like that's i know like, literally i can't do math right now what 50 years almost Oh, it, it's just like really tough to listen to, especially after the Me Too movement has been so wildly a part of our culture. All right. When we come back, we're sticking with pop culture because we're talking with The Washington Post's Alyssa Rosenberg about how it's going to feel to see the pandemic portrayed on TV. Stay right there. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. We controlled the courts. We controlled absolutely everything. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free. Until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. From my perspective, Bob was too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. I wouldn't trust that guy. He looks like a little scumbag liar, stool pigeon. He looked like what he was, a rat. I can say with all certainty, I think he's a hero because he didn't have to do what he did, and he did it anyway. The moment I put the wire on the first time, my life was over. If it ever got out, they would kill me in a heartbeat. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking It, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I, I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice. And I encourage you to do, don't worry if there are thousands of something out that you want to do. No, Nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.naacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for checking in. Welcome back. We've been living through this pandemic for basically a lifetime now. And among the many things shut down has been scripted TV production. That's finally changing. But do we even want to relive the pandemic on the small screen? 
We're joined today by Washington Post opinion columnist Alyssa Rosenberg. Talk through our feelings on this. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So back in July, Ellen Pompeo said that next season of Grey's Anatomy will definitely deal with the coronavirus pandemic. What was your reaction when you heard that? Oh, man. Um, I actually spent a bunch of this spring and summer talking to folks who write for film and television um, about what they what stories they would or would not want to tell about the pandemic. And the reaction interestingly to me from within Hollywood was sort of all over the place. There were some people who said, hell yes, we want to figure out how to tell jokes about quarantine. We want to make dark comedies about the policy response. And some people who said, I just want to help people escape. I want to get people to take their minds off this. I'm using this time to figure out new technologies and new formats. I don't want to talk about this at all. And then one of the most interesting responses I got was from Zach Stentz, who wrote the original Thor movie, um, X-Men First Class. And he has kind of pivoted to writing a lot of stuff for children and teenagers. And he said that he thought that what was going to be really important and one of the most useful things that he and other people could do was find ways to help kids talk about this experience without talking about it directly. And so tell stories that are about, you know, friends who haven't seen each other for a while who are worried that their friendships will endure or, you know, tell stories about characters who are lonely or separated from school in some way and trying to help folks process their feelings about the pandemic, uh, either allegorically or even totally obliquely. And I think, look, you know, I apparently just really like to do emotional cutting via cinema. And so watch Contagion <laughs> um, on repeat in the early days of the pandemic, because um, I love it. I think it's a masterful movie. But I don't know that most people are going to want to have that experience and are going to want to have it repeatedly, especially from stuff that was escapist for them in the best of times. I mean, I enjoy Grey's Anatomy. I'm not like a super dedicated watcher, but I mean, I sort of go there for the drama and the hot people and the scrubs, not necessarily for the medicine. <laughs> yeah. Or even for processing my deep seated anxieties about the fact that I basically haven't left the house for six months. So, um, I think that creatively this will be a really interesting experience. I will be fascinated to see who throws COVID-19 stories at the wall who doesn't, what sticks, and why. And just because I am not sure that I want something doesn't mean that someone won't find a really great story to tell around this. I don't know that the sort of bottle episodes, I mean, calling them bottle episodes is not technically accurate, but I don't know that the episodes that have been sort of shot or performed over Zoom have been particularly fruitful or useful. I was actually on a call earlier today with an entertainment industry executive where like all of everything around asking questions around zoom was breaking down. So I think like even that industry is facing some challenges <laughs> in sorting out how to do this stuff. But I think that, you know, the experiments in form and tone and content will be really interesting, even if they're not really good or really what we want. So I'm definitely don't fall into that contagion category yes great movie right now no can't do it i'm sticking to light reality tv shows or reruns of sitcoms where i already know what happens you know a lot of people are talking about that because their anxiety isn't uh you know when you already know what's happening you're okay what are your feelings on shows like love in the time of corona freeform's romantic comedy miniseries about you guessed it 
finding love during Corona. I mean, (laughs) again, it's like, it's not something that's particularly for me, but I think that, you know, people are trying to find ways to cope with this. And if they can watch other people going, I mean, I think one of the things that's been really hard about the pandemic is that we don't get a lot of this sort of routine social interactions that we used to, right? I mean, you're not just walking down the hallway in your office and you see someone you haven't talked to in a while and you stop and have a spontaneous chat. Everything is sort of more of a lift. And so the just struggles and challenges that people are coping with right now kind of don't get processed in an everyday way. And so, you know, if there are people who are single who, you know, are trying to figure out dating, seeing someone else do that, maybe that's helpful. You know, one thing I find really fascinating um, in the middle of all of this is that, I don't know if you guys saw that Keeping Up with the Kardashians is going to end next year. And so it's fascinating to me that in the middle of all of this, one of the longest running reality series is kind of going to shut down. Um, They've actually announced that the walking dead is ending too. And so some of the both escapist and fantastical stuff that folks were using to process their lives and imagine the end of the world scenarios, you know, we're going to have all of this cultural disruption totally separate from whatever new comes out of the pandemic. So I think that'll be really interesting. So piggybacking off that, is there a difference in your mind between, say, like, you know, the very special episodes that we have that cover things like race or the opioid crisis versus how shows are going to have to handle the pandemic? That's really interesting because it's an ongoing thing, right? And we people still don't know how long the pandemic is going to go on. I mean, there's this weird asynchronicity between the real world and television, right? And that's only going to be exacerbated by the pandemic. Right. It's like, it's so weird right now to like turn on TVs and see people like huddled together, talking like super close to each other. Like, please stop. <laughs> please. Yes. Please, please just back up. Like, I know we have a mask somewhere in that purse. Please put it on. No. Um, But, you know, even in normal times, networks might order stuff to series in, you know, February through April or even May, shoot the first, you know, eight or 10 episodes of a 20 episode season over the summer. And then you would see that stuff in September. So there's sort of a, you know, six month or more lag. That's going to be a lot longer for a lot of stuff now. Um, You know, most of the third and fourth seasons of Atlanta are apparently written, but production on those they were going to shoot them back to back in Europe and in Georgia, but that's been delayed. And so you're going to have this material that was written a while ago that isn't going to film for a while and that won't go through post-production and airing for a while after that. So the timelines are going to get more and more out of sync. And I think that will make it really hard to predict or even think about sort of what shows should do, you know, to a certain extent, it's really easy to incorporate the pandemic um, into certain kinds of storytelling. You know, if you are a, you know, if you have a show that's set partially in a diner, like you cut down on the number of patrons and you space them out and the episode itself doesn't have to be about the fact that you're doing those things, but you can, the show can communicate that it's aware of the ongoing pandemic and sort of the new way that we live our lives that necessarily writing it fully into the plot. Um You know, you can just put a lot of masks on extras and, you know, then there's tensions like, do you put them on your leads that make the leads look out of sync? Do people accept a certain amount of sort of discontinuity because you want to see stars full faces? 
et cetera. But there are ways to sort of acknowledge the pandemic without doing a very special episode or becoming a pandemic show. Um, it's funny you mentioned, though, really quickly, the the idea of like putting extras in masks because, you know, TV shows, especially network TV, can have a habit of when they are trying to talk about big issues, just really kind of play the middle and both sizing topics. Do you think we'll see much of that in the future on the coronavirus? Like, will we see like, oh, we got to have a mask debate, which is a funny pair of words that has recently been flagged to me. But yes, those are that is language that is part of our discourse now. God, everything is so weird. Um, I don't entirely know. I think a lot of that's going to be the discussion of the individual shows. Um, there may be sort of a disjunct between what established shows and, um, you know, shows that are sort of just coming off the pipeline end up doing. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting. I don't know the answer. So, Moving on, we've talked about this on the show before, but as soon as this pandemic hit, I said that we were probably going to see a surge in animated shows because we're not really going to have people working on set together. So what do you think? Is is this animation's time to shine? Yeah, absolutely. And um, there are animation studios that are actually, you know, getting overwhelmed by the amount of work that's coming in. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, FX is rolling out Archer right on time because, you know, Ultimately, you may not be able to do it in the exact same way that you'd like, but, you know, if you have a reasonably affluent Hollywood actor, you can send a contractor to their house and set up a pretty professional grade sound studio and do the voice work at home. And then you can ship that work off to your animation studio, sync everything up, and you're in pretty good shape. Um, So, you know, I will be curious to see if there are shows that do fully animated episodes. I mean, there are interesting contractual issues at work here too. You know, does that count as an actor having been in an episode, et cetera. But yeah, I think we could see a lot of, you know, a lot of experimental stuff happen and that'll be fun. So we've been talking a lot about scripted TV, but reality TV has been really pushing to make a comeback, like how The Bachelor went full NBA bubble or how the Real Housewives are all accommodating this. But at the same time, like you said, the Kardashians said they are ending the show earlier this week. Do we even want to see real people going through it like we are, even the rich and fabulous ones? I don't know. I mean, it, it appears that we've wanted to see the Kardashians do like literally everything in human existence. So why not a pandemic too? Uh, I mean, I think if there's reality television that you relate to and reality television that is voyeuristic. And so for the stuff that's voyeuristic, like, hell yeah, I want to see a bunch of crazy rich people trying to deal with not being able to have everything they you know, want exactly the way they want it. Um, but if I'm going something to something purely to escape, then I probably am not super interested in watching a lot of people, you know, hang around and be miserable in a bubble. We've, and Hayes and I have talked about this before, you know, in this upcoming Bachelor season, it, it, I'm really interested to see how much they're going to focus on it. Are they going to make some quarantine pod jokes and move on? Or is it going to be a thing we see all the time? Because visually, we're going to see the, the trapped in a resort, you know? So it's just going to be interesting <laughs> to see all this play out. Yes. No, the, the hometown dates may be somewhat different. <laughs> well, Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time. Always a pleasure. Thanks. That's our show this week. We'll be back on Monday with a look at how the coronavirus has caused 2020 to become a lost year for so many people in the U.S. And remember, takeout is good. And tip till you can't tip no more. News O'Clock is produced by Dan Bauza, Alan Haberchak, Mandy Reeder, and Sierra Tall. 
Special thanks to Tracy Ayers, Mangasha Ticketer, Samantha Hennig, Patrick McMiniman, and Tommy Wesley. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and especially a review. Helps figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Hi, I'm Randy, and this is Dave. We're the founders of Bombas, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. So comfortable, we sold and donated millions of pairs. To sell and donate a lot of socks, we became obsessed with comfort. We reinvented the sock from the ground up, adding comfort innovations along the way. It worked. People tried them, loved them, told their friends about them. Helping us sell and donate millions of pairs. Try them now at bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash comfy. Thursday, February 10th, kick off Super Bowl 56 weekend with host Keegan-Michael Key. Find out who will be named the AP Most Valuable Player, delivered by Pizza Hut, the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year, presented by Nationwide, and more. Plus, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Class of 2022, delivered with Uber Eats, will be revealed. NFL Honors, presented by Invisalign, Thursday, February 10th at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, on ABC, NFL Network, and ESPN+. All times live except in the Pacific Time Zone. This is Roxanne Gay, the host of the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. Each week I talk to an interesting person about feminism, race, writing in books and art, food, pop culture, and yes, politics. We can't escape politics. Listen to the Luminary Original podcast, The Roxanne Gay Agenda, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 